DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is time to talk NBA playoffs with David Locke. Brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David is here each and every week. David, good morning. I don't think we should talk about NBA playoffs. What would you like to talk about? I think we should talk about how great you and PK are. <laughs> All right. You got one hour, Locke. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I mean, that's just not enough time. I mean, seriously, like considering the run, the legacy, the history in the marketplace, the stories broken, the insight on multiple sports, the creativeness, any day you don't sing. I mean, there are just so many things to be thankful for when it comes to you two. 59 minutes. Keep going. Um... Thank you for being a friend. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Messed up everything, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, you're my best friend. All right, we can come back to our greatness in a minute. But first, okay. the question of the morning. Mike Conley, what kind of impact does he have on game three? And should Jazz fans be worried? I've got... Two things for you here to assess before you freelance in whatever you want. That's why you're here. Number one, Moutier played 10 minutes in game one and 14 in game two. I assume Conley's going to get 30 minutes, maybe a little more than that, maybe 35. So at first, well, you're certainly getting Moutier's minutes, so Conley's going to be an upgrade. That's one. Two, I think if you're going to worry about anything, it's that move the ball Joe is going to replace Catch it and launch it, Joe. And catch it and launch it, Joe, is very helpful when you're trying to win. That might be the one thing to legitimately worry about. Reaction. Well, Joe's got to buy in. So, And I feel like, and maybe this is unfair on my part, but I feel like that's been not always the case. Joe really loves to run that high pick and roll and have the ball in his hand. And he does it fabulously. Um, but Mike needs to do that too, or Mike needs to do it. Mike's better off the sidelines, off some pin downs and some things of that nature at this point than coming straight down. And and at times I feel like I've seen when the difference between Joe and Mike plays and Mike doesn't is if he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much, he's not as engaged. But what I thought we saw as the bubble went on was Joe understanding what he could do because Boyan's not there. And with Boyan not there, and Boyan's the one who's taken, you know, leads the team in three-point attempts, I think, and also leads the team in transition three-point attempts, is that if Joe gets out and runs mm-hmm. and gets available early, then launch it, Joe actually has more chance to play. Um, you know, Joe, if Joe can get, Joe can go get <clears throat> five or six quick early three looks um, because he can – he can run up the floor and, and particularly get in the corners. I mean, I think we've talked about this a few times, but if you look at Joe's evolution as a career, he went from almost predominantly a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, and now he's actually one-to-one on off-the-bounce versus catch-and-shoot. And to his credit, he's done a, a remarkable job of improving his off-the-bounce. I think it was like 18% his first year, which just took too long, and, and he's improved that so dramatically. But he's still an unbelievably great catch-and-shoot guy. And so if he buys in to not coming back to the ball all the time or needing the ball and getting out in front of the defense and move, and getting up the floor, we can get some early three looks from Joe in the role that Boyan had. What I think is not understood well enough about who we are is that if you actually look at our transition possessions this year, Boyan used the most transition of any player on the team. 
And so that's the role that Joe needs to take with Mike being back. Joe's going to get his opportunities. Quinn's going to go find the matchups he wants. And, and without Will Barton and without Gary Harris, Denver only has really one good on-ball defender. And so with Conley, Ingles, and Mitchell, you've got three on three pick-and-roll guys, all who can go find the matchup. Um, and I think we'll see more, um, and Joe's great at setting this up, I, I think we'll see more what I would call almost, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but uh, uh, open side kind of pin down pick and rolls. And so what I mean by that is Donovan or Conley starts at the baseline and or Joe and Rudy comes down and sets a pick for them and they get the ball from a pass at about the exact moment they'd be crossing over the pick anyway. And so it's actually kind of an in motion pick and roll by that moment, if that makes sense there. And there's nobody in that corner. So, what ends up happening is if they go under and try to gap it, this Joe or Mike or Donovan can step back and get an open three. And if they go over it, then you're rolling to the basket. And if they try to switch it, then Rudy's rolling for a dunk. I think you'll see a little evolution of the offense there. Um, Cause I think Denver will do less of that tepid pick double teaming that was so unsuccessful in game two. So you already talked about it a little bit, but explore and expound. How big of a loss is it to not have these two guys for the nuggets? I think it's huge, um, and I don't think it's been talked about enough. I mean, I know we were missing our guys, but just when you're trying to evaluate your opponent. So they're minus 3.5 per 100 possessions this year when you don't have one of them in the lineup. So, Or just, you know, if you take go to their lineups and take out Gary Harris and Will Barton, they're minus 3.5 per 100 possessions. So that's, you know, that's about a 32-33 win team. Minus 3.5. So they, you know, I know Michael Porter Jr.'s gotten hot and has a lot of things he does great, and he's going to be a bona fide scorer. I, I also, like, I've had enough of the Michael Porter Jr. show. Like, I'm sorry. Like, as a fan, like, here, I'm just going to be a total fan. Like, he's only doing one thing. Okay, so he's dribbling once to his left and shooting, and he's catching and shooting. He is not a good isolation player. He's a terrible pick-and-roll player right now. He's 20 years old. He's still a baby. He's going to be unbelievable. But the player we're playing right now, like, could we please close all the way out and touch him? Like, if you watch, whenever we touch him, he gives it up. Like, I just don't think he's particularly physical. And, like, it's, we don't need to let him have 25 again. Like, he's brilliant. He's going to get 16 or 18 just because he's so good and his shooting pocket is at six foot ten, and he's that good. But, like, some hard closeouts on him – and make him, like, if you watch, anytime he tries to go one-on-one, he's just not comfortable. He's too tall, frankly, for some of it. It's like what makes Durant so incredible is that seven feet, he's got a tight enough handle, he can do it. But there aren't many seven-one guys who can play iso ball on you, and he's 6'10". Um, and so I, I, I think that that's where they, you know, so if we can and if we can quiet Michael Porter Jr. a little bit, then they're going to miss Gary Harris and Will Barton on the offensive end as well. Their offense, we haven't stopped him yet. But on the defensive end, they truly miss Will Barton and Gary Harris because they just don't have enough defenders right now. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So the way the Nuggets win is to outscore the Jazz then, right? They have to win in shootouts. It's not, this isn't going to play out any other way. Because I'm wondering how they, – they, they've shot over like 51.5% from the three-point line in these first two games. Like, okay, Kyle Korver did that for a year, but nobody does that. Certainly no team does that. That's like 15 points above what they did in the regular season. they got to cool off and miss some of these threes. No, they got a 20% three-point shooting game coming. I agree. Like, 
if I'm Denver, there are things I would be worried about and things I wouldn't be worried about. Um, like, I don't think that the Jazz figured out the Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic two-man game in game two. Like, uh, if you actually look at the data, they ran it like 13 times in the first three quarters and only scored four times in game one. They ran it 11 times in the first three quarters, scored four times. You know, when the game got tight, they ran it for 15 straight possessions and scored on 11. So, like, we didn't, we haven't, we haven't solved that. We solved it just as much as we did in game one until they got tight with it and then they torched us. So I, I don't have a feeling that that answer has happened yet. Um, I think the Jazz did a nice job of getting Murray. I got an interesting note for you on Murray. I'll give you if you have a second. Uh, I thought they did a nice job. But the, the area from Denver I'm concerned is I'm shooting 51% from three and I'm one and one in the series. Like that, that would have me very concerned because I think they should have a bad shooting night at some point. Now, shooting's better in the bubble and it's getting better every day. People, it's just, you know, it's the same sight lines every single day, and people are getting used to it. So the shooting is better in the league right now than it's ever been. So we had on Kenny the Jet Smith, and he was talking about some of these younger guys, basically Big with time. That, yeah, with that break equaled uh, what it would be tantamount to the summer break. So he's his uh, point was guys like Mitchell and others, but we'll focus on Mitchell here. That this is the start of their fourth year. Uh, do you think this break, for whatever the reasons might be that we had, ended up hastening the development of Mitchell? So it's interesting. I had a similar – the answer is yes. Um, and I think the same thing with Michael Porter Jr. and the same thing with Joan Morgan and Mia Oni and all these kids. Um, though I had a similar – I had a conversation with Kevin Pelton about this. And Kevin Pelton in his intellectual kind of stats manner had a different take on it. We have created – false timings by which people improve because we have something called the beginning and the end of seasons. But if you, and occasionally you hear someone say, Oh, you got better after the all-star break. Kevin's point of view is there's just a natural progression over time that you actually just are kind of on a steady improvement, you know, the whole way through. And then it's most noticeable to us when we reset our statistics at the beginning of a season. But he said, if you actually ran it continuously, you would just see it. So he doesn't think it's like the beginning of the fourth year. He just thinks it's August of your third year, right? That you're actually just on a natural progressive uh, improvement over time and that that's what's going on. So it's a, it's a little bit thought of it a little differently, and I actually think it's more accurate than the arbitrary start and end dates that we've put on things. But it's the same concept that, yes, Donovan Mitchell is a better player today than he was for five months ago because he was a better player five months ago than he was five months prior and five months prior to that. So Joe Ingles was telling us that Donovan watches a phenomenal amount of video, an amount of video that Joe would never, ever try to consume. But he says he's just, he's all about it. It's nonstop. You're around him on flights and buses and all that kind of stuff. Have you seen that? Does Donovan really watch way more video? You know, I didn't know that. I mean, I know Donovan watches video. I didn't know he watched way more video. Um, I mean, Donovan talked about at the end of one year that he's going to go back and watch all 82 games. Um, and I don't know if he actually ever completed that after his, fresh, after his rookie year. Um, you know, I know he works, right? Like, he and Rudy, um, in every city we're on the road, they go to a gym the night before a game. They have a gym. They go with their coaches every night before. So if we're in Orlando or actually that's a bad example because that's where the bubble is. So let's say we're in, you know, Miami and we're playing. If we didn't play that day, they may have practiced, but they're at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, they're going to a gym to go get shots. And both those guys are, 
Um, so I know that aspect of him, and maybe some of that is included in that. Um, and I know I was talking to Johnny Bryant recently, and um, during the during the seeding games, I just checked in with him, and you know he was off to go um, with Donovan to go shoot. And actually, I checked in with Lamar Skeeter, and he was off with I think he was out going with Rudy to go shoot, or maybe it was Donovan at a different time. So they're doing the same thing in the bubble. They have ballrooms that they go to. I mean, these guys just work endlessly, so um, it doesn't surprise me that Donovan watches that much film. I'm a guy who really doesn't get caught up in the final outcome of games. I get caught up in the competition of the actual games themselves. That's what entices me. And I am really enjoying the competition that Rudy Gobert is putting out there with him and Jokic and all that stuff. How fun is that for you to watch that? You know, it's great. And it's interesting. You just phrased it in a way that I didn't. I've actually phrased it as a tip of the hat to Jokic because I think I know Rudy so well. But so many bigs that we watch – once Rudy blocks their shot or alters their shot or changes their first shot and they realize how hard it is to go to the rack, then Anthony Davis and Carlton Towns, I mean, not to mention names, stop going to the basket. We've seen it a million times, right? Like, early in a game, a guy tries Rudy. They try him a second time. Both the times they end up, like, with the shots that we're seeing Jokic take, which are, like, these falling backwards, trying to create a shooting angle out of nowhere because the seven-foot-nine wingspan just evaporates you know, just absolutely eclipsed everything that you wanted to shoot where you wanted to shoot. And then we watched these guys just go become shooting guards. And Jokic, to his credit, has no part of that. Like, he just keeps coming at Rudy and going inside and trying different things and using his footwork. And I think it's an awesome battle because you know Rudy's not going to relent, right? And usually Rudy, to Rudy's credit, the way you phrased it, usually Rudy's kind of mentally beats guys and they decide – you know, we haven't seen Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns in a playoff series, so that would be maybe, you know, I, I feel like they just decide, all right, this is one of 82 and it's just going to be really hard and I'm just not a part of it. So I'm going to get mine the, some other way today. And I think they don't want to be on House of Highlights. Um, and I just don't think Jokic cares about House of Highlights. And I don't, you know, maybe it's being European and it's just relentless, like going at Rudy and Rudy's just never going to back down. So it is awesome. And I just tip my hat to both of them at the highest level for what they're putting out there. And then, you know, I talked to Rudy yesterday and uh, you may have heard it. And he put in a lot of work. Like he went through a really tough time here, right? He gets COVID he's national worldwide scorn for his, his grabbing the microphones and being careless and I mean, he's a pariah at that point. And he, I thought it was really interesting because I know he'd worked really, really hard on his game. You know, he, he obviously had a different little bit of angle. Once he got healthy, he didn't have the same risk that everybody else had of getting coronavirus. Again, seemingly, we don't entirely know, but that seems to be the case. And so he was able to, to, to really work. But I thought it was interesting yesterday when I asked him about it. The first thing he said is, I got my, my mind right. And he really did have to go through a process to get his mind right. And he talked about boxing and yoga and a lot of things to get his mind right first. And then, and then he started working on his game. But you're seeing the areas, like some of the footwork stuff he's doing from the top of the, from the free throw line, um, you know, are pretty impressive. He has a gym in his house. And so he worked, he worked really hard and he had people that were working with him. So, do you think Jokic, the Nuggets, but you know the best players are the most important ones, especially in the playoffs. Do you think they're 
completely embarrassed that they got blown out, and Jokic said he got his shot spiked off the floor at the end of the half, and they come back with a super effort. Or if the Jazz come out and play well and build a big lead, do they know they're beaten? And then your whole thought of uh, Cancun on three, what the heck do we need to be in the bubble for when we know we're done? We're missing two guys that we really need to have, and this just isn't going to happen. So they were really awful. When I rewatched the film, and I'm not trying to be like hot takey or critical, I actually mean it as, as, as a compliment to them. I mean, I've seen Denver play. I've seen Denver play well. That was not Denver. Okay, I rewatched that felt game. They 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 were passive. They kind of did these pseudo double teams, and then they just didn't have an impact. We passed the ball. The double team would move it freely all the way around. They didn't impede anyone's progress. They they got chippy for a minute, but it was fake chippy. They just were off. Like, was it because Will Barton left the bubble earlier in the day, and that was really deflating to them? Was it just because they'd won Game One? I don't know what the reason was, but they were not sharp. And they're good. They're the second seed last year and the third seed this year. They're really good. Now, they may be less good, as we talked about, without Will Barton and Gary Harris, but that performance is not who they are. It's not who a Mike Malone coach team is. And so they're going to be wildly different. Like, we're not running through the lane making every cut we want to make. Um, And I think it'll be interesting to see what they do defensively. I, I think that's, to me the biggest storyline here is that they made a massive defensive adjustment even after a win. It's pretty unusual, and it backfired, and it didn't work. And so now, as a coaching staff, do you hold your ground and say to your guys, no, we were right, we're just going to do it better, or do you say, ah, we actually blew it, and we're going to go back to our defense at game one, and oh, by the way, they're going to run Donovan off picks, and you're going to be switched onto him, and he's just going to go one-on-one and isolate you. Or do you have a third adjustment you're going to make? Like, I think that's what's super interesting in this series. And so there's where if, you know, if they do make a significant third adjustment or they go back to the first one and the Jazz torch them again, then where do you go from there? I think that's, that's the area where maybe they could be, lose a little spirit but I think you're going to see a totally different Denver team. Um, I, I'm not one. I mean, I thought the Jazz were going to win the series when the series started because I thought we had three pick-and-roll ball handlers and they didn't have enough defenders without Barton and, and Harris, and I just didn't think they could shoot it well enough without Barton and Harris, so that was my thought process going in, and now I think we can win three out of five for that exact same reason, but I, I'm not one who thinks that game two was some indicator that Quinn has broken Denver the way he did Oklahoma City in that series. But I could be – maybe he did. You know, last thing before we let you go, the play, if you haven't seen it, uh, uh, go back and watch it. But when you were talking about For- Porter not being physical, did you see the Nuggets start to get mad at him for his lack of a blockout, which really he should have been pushing Gobert under the basket because he kind of had him there halfway, and then he let him off the hook. And Gobert gets that dunk right at the buzzer at the half. The Nuggets were not happy with their young teammate. I mean, I'm going to give Porter a little bit of a break here. Like, he's 20, right? Yeah. Isn't he 20? Yeah. He's 20. He's 6'10". He doesn't have strength. And he's had two back surgeries. Like, he might not like contact yet. He's probably not as strong as the grown men that are out there hitting him, and he's had two back surgeries. So I think it's part of his progression. I just don't – I think if we hit him a little bit, he's not going to be – we can just take advantage of him not being as good here. Mm. And just, you know what, like, I think I use this analogy – I don't know who I use this analogy with, but do you remember Peja Stoyakovich? Yeah. 
like he would take one dribble to his left and shoot every time. Like Michael Porter Jr. is the same thing. Like when, when we close out, can we just go and put it? I mean, like you got to make sure you don't let wide open right hand drive to him. But like, get on it so that that left dribble is uncomfortable, and see if we can take that away. Because he really like that's his one bounce move. But the minute you get him, I have the data. I mean, I can send it out. But like, if if he's in a pick and roll, he's like three of fifteen shooting for the season. Um, he's still just so inexperienced. Like, this is why we're putting him in pick and roll. He's only guarded 125 pick and rolls in his entire career. Right? Like, just to put that in perspective, like, Joe Ingles ran 1,600 this year. Like, Michael Porter's, like, defended 125 pick and rolls in his entire career. So, um, you know, there's just ways to take advantage of him. And um, we just, you know, but he's as good a shooter as there is in the league right now. He's 20 years old. David, we appreciate it. We'll hear you on the hear you on the game later today. All right, talk to you soon.